This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. This interview was recorded on location at Town Square Television during the final editing of the new full-length documentary, Closing Time. Here's the interview. All right, so on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. you want to just quick tell, tell me who you are? I am Jennifer Neverdahl, working on my project, my first... Uh, feature film called Closing Time. And Closing Time, this is a documentary film. Um, Do you want to just talk a little bit uh, about, you know, what you cover um, in the film, you know, how you came to be making the film, how all that started, and then um, and then what you've captured in this uh, in this new uh, feature length you got coming out? Okay, well, yeah, I've been working on this three years because I ended up combining uh, projects. Back in 2020, um, when we were in the midst of COVID, um, I found my filmmaking um, endeavors rather hindered. Right. But I realized that um, there was still things I could do. One thing is I made a funny little project just in my apartment a short, you know, uh, it wasn't much longer than five minutes. But I also got out and about, uh, even though I couldn't script things and get together actors and things like that. Some people were doing it, some were, but it was complicated. There's a lot right. of legalities, a lot of uh, medical. I I don't think you had, a, had to have a medical personnel on the set, right. but it was close to that bad. So... Um, I just went on, I put on a mask, and I would cover events that were going on because, uh, you know, unfortunately, that was the same time that George Floyd was killed. And uh, people were very much angry about that, and they were going to protest. So there was a lot of protesters out there wearing masks, uh, but, you know, this was going on. And um, I'd had a cable access show for some time, and I'd gotten used to covering uh, protests, demonstrations. Uh, I would go to uh, see speakers and cover them and interview them if, if I got a chance. And so I did, I did a lot of like citizen journalist type stuff, uh, even though my main thing was satire and, and writing. I, I do a lot of writing. Um, well, getting access to some of those facilities and stuff was also limited during the height of right, the pandemic. Because right, because here where we are right now at Town Square Television, they closed down, um, and my other facility that I would work at, SPNN, they were closed down. Um, after a number of months, they did open up again. So that was great because nice. I could do, for a while, all I could do was film stuff. I couldn't put anything together. So I was n- not totally getting back in the groove. Um, right. It was like, uh, yeah, I'll just have to wait until I get a chance to edit this. I did get into a program online at home 
and I thought it was doing okay for a while because it was very similar to what I was using here. So there was a, um, it was a fairly easy learning curve for a while. Right. <laughs> but um, then I ran into some problems. And I was working my best to solve it on my own, uh, you know, reading, you know, going to the tutorials and things like that. And thought I had it, but then there was goofy things happening. Um, uh, audio showing up from a completely different part right. of my project, and I didn't know why. And I had no facilitator that I could go to like I do here. So... Um, I realized that wasn't going to work, but fortunately, after a few months, in July or August, um, with being masked, of, of course, and, 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 and distancing protocols, SPNN opened up. Nice. SPNN, if I didn't mention that when I started, St. Paul Neighborhood Network. This is Town Square Television, St. Paul Neighborhood Network, of course, is over in St. Paul. In fact, it's actually close to the Minneapolis border. It's way over so on, this was like on maybe Vandalia. July? Maybe July 2020, is that something like Yeah, that? July 2020, um, probably late July. So I had this footage, you know, and I started putting some of that together from the protests and uh, and the memorial that they set up, uh, George Floyd Square, and I was doing stuff with that. At the same period of time, I reconnected with a, a friend that I was uh, doing a lot of theater with uh, back in, in the 80s. And... Um, I discovered that she was doing a lot of work with the homeless. You know, she was uh, a volunteer, uh, an active organizer of getting supplies to encampments. And that sounded interesting, so I started working on that project as well. Uh, again, mainly focused on just getting the footage because it was just starting out. So that was like in September, early September when she alerted me to one of the encampments was going to uh, be evicted. So I thought, well, I definitely want to uh, have coverage of that. So I went there, and she was going to be there, of course, to help uh, the people as they struggled with having to move again, right. as they often, often, often do. And um, so in between, when she going to from, you know, one part of the encampment to another and, and, and find out what was happening with her friends because she's gotten to know these people to the point that they're re they really are close friends of hers. And, uh, you know, in between, whenever I got a chance and I'd ask her a question, you know, um, interview her basically and find out, you know, well, what's this been like for you? What's a, what's a, what's life at the encampment like for these people and such? Uh, so I got a really nice interview. I got some footage of some of the things that was happening with the city workers as they tore down the camp. Mm. And so I got that project going. And it was um, not too long after that, a month or so after that, that I, I was thinking, you know, there's a similar theme here with what Minneapolis is doing with the problems they have to face um, with uh, minorities and activists and encampments. Mm -hmm. uh, my main focus was on the encampments, but I thought this this should just be one film. Because it's really all about how they solve problems, how the government, how the police solve problems by just pushing them away. And that's how I got the name Closing Time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, do you... Are we ready to play something, or do you want to... 
pull up a clip at all or anything, or shall we? Um, sure. Do another question. Yeah. I um, did a lot of uh, satirical skits when I was uh, in, in cable access, and yeah, it's it's been a lifelong thing. I grew up on Mad Magazine, Laugh-In, Saturday Night Live, Monty Python. So. Um, this is a documentary, but I also took a lot of inspiration from Michael Moore, and he he used humor within his documentary. So I've broken it up with some humor and things like that. So this, oh, I should tell you. Well, here it is. Um, I'm gonna redo this because I was I was using my own audio narration, um, sure. and I was talking over him, and I, I I rethought it. I thought I just I got I just should just show. The clip and and see his explanation. Just let it speak for itself. Because Mayor Fry had, um, in in the midst of all this um, increase of uh, evictions, right. they were coming uh, a, a lot more frequently. Um, he, you know, they they never, you know, the activists and the um, the inhabitants of the encampments just uh it was really hard to get uh, him to listen and and the council there were some good council members there was definitely some supportive council members but there were also some that were uh, totally uh on board with the evictions and everything anyways in the midst of all of this he thought it would be cool to have uh this talk show online called fries with fry yeah. So he he sits around, he eats fries, and he uh, and he has discussions about city issues, um, but he has it with some of his corporate friends. Mm. Um, I saw three episodes, and I think that's all there is. I haven't seen one for a long, long time, so I think he realized it wasn't going over well. Anyways, I was those say, I can't imagine making one episode. So three yes. episodes is yeah. really overkill there. But yeah. Well, it takes a three. while for a series to get canceled. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so in those three, they talked about the you know some of the important issues, but most of them seem to be um, uh, geared towards business. Mm. Now, granted. Um, he had um, a couple there that were small business owners. So, I mean, that is something that's important. We want the small businesses to succeed. Um, but it didn't go any farther than that. Right. He certainly didn't talk about the unhoused. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he didn't at all talk about uh, the racial issues and how under his administration the city was burning. Stuff like that. Right. Um, it was just, it was basically, oh, well, that sounds really good what you're doing. This is, this is really good. Isn't it great what's going on, you know? And kind of like... Uh, pat himself oh, this, on the back. <laughs> he pat himself on the back. I'm sorry, I'm so Atta used... Boy. <laughs> For your information, I just patted myself on the back. <laughs> I'm used to visual mediums. Um, anyways, so then... Um, and and that's right. You're not going to see much. But um, after I put post this on, then this is followed up by my my satire, which um, I'll just uh, go ahead and explain as it runs here. 
that um, I got the idea that he would be at a drive-through window and he would surprise um, and I called it Burgermeisters who worked out a German theme for it and um, so he's like surprising the uh, these citizens by being there to promote his show fries with fries and expecting everybody would be enthusiastic to see oh the mayor's here oh my gosh oh my gosh the mayor's here <laughs> and he's taking my order yeah anyway so that's the gist of it that's uh, that's uh, the the final um, skit that I do there's actually um, there's there's this one skit and then there's like three other segments of, of uh, a skit with one character which I called Father Away. Oh, sure. Actually, yeah. And he's like doing a, a, a sermon type thing. I was see somebody at this window. Don't you know who I am? Don't you? Are you needing some sort of help? I'm the mayor. And it kind of goes like that, you know, right. <laughs> because the, the, the guy doesn't know who he is. Right. You know, and uh, let's face it, you know, a lot of citizens, they just go through their lives, you know, trying to make a living and things like that. They barely, they, they may know that, you know, even if they live in Minneapolis, they, they may know that, oh, the name of the mayor is Fry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess he got elected a few years back, but they wouldn't know what he looks like and things like that. They don't even know so, that. A lot of the, I've heard a lot of people call him Frey. Many times they've oh, clearly well, never, then they, at least, never even heard him speak or seen him <laughs> or heard anyone else use his name. So. But at least that in the case that they're a reader, I they're think, a reader. either because they're, they're pronouncing it what they saw. Yeah. They've read the newspaper, yeah. but they, maybe they've never seen him. Yeah. Anyways, so... Um, this plays off... This is, it is, you know, it's satire, so it exaggerates right. his ego... Um, the unfortunate thing is it doesn't really exaggerate him that much. I mean, if you watch Fries with Fries, and you should, <laughs> you, whoever out there listening to this, you probably should go online on YouTube and, and look up Fries with Fries because um, it does have a little bit of humor just as is. Mm -hmm, right. <laughs> kind of a sad humor. <laughs> Unplanned humor. Exactly. The humor yeah. of obliviousness. Yes. <laughs> Um, well, do you, you know, that kind of, that's the satire piece. Do you want to, um, before we get into a little bit more about the documentary, do you just want to talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that you've done? Right. Well, you know, uh, interviews, there's a number of good interviews in here. Um, uh, I know what I should go, I should go to find yeah. the, um, when there was eviction um, being held over their heads in a place called um, the Quarry, it was, um, you know, uh, where St. Anthony um, meets, uh, well, it's like east of down, downtown Minneapolis. There's a big sh shopping uh, center there. And, um, so this is another clip. This is one of the uh, interviews, or one of the this is interviews during the a press conference was arranged. Oh sure, yeah. And 
right out there in the cold. Uh, actually, it was one of the warmer days that week. But they're talking about the cold spell that had happened um, just a few days earlier. And the general problems of uh, winter in the encampments. And her name is Mira, and she's very much a focus of this documentary, because like I say, she's um, one of the primary, there it is, one of the primary people. Sure. Um, does an awful lot of work. And they're trying to get underneath there so that they can have some shelter from crazy wind and, and, and minus zero wind chills so they can just not freeze to death. There's no room in shelters. Nobody, nobody wants to go to shelter anyway because they lose all their rights in shelter. The police will say they have to go to a shelter. If we tell them to call Adult Shelter Connect, they don't even know what Adult Shelter Connect is. And I can tell you, anytime you call Adult Shelter Connect, you'll be told there's one spot up in Duluth and maybe two in Rochester. And this is what we are doing. I am so tired as an outreach person of being out there every eviction and trying to keep my ass warm and thinking, how are they doing it? I watched a man one night in the wind trying to put up a tent for three hours while I had to keep going to the car warming up. He's a skinny guy. His wife fell asleep, dead asleep in the car next to me because they had been out all day in this high wind, all day. And this was at about one in the morning. And while he's trying to put up a tent that we got to him, the tent is being used like a parachute by the wind and lifting him up the ground over and over off of the ground. The guy, I don't know how he did it out there to finally get this thing settled up, but he was battling for his life and for the life of his wife. And this is so inhumane. If this was happening to dogs, the city would put an end to it right away. And I am fucking exhausted by this. And they, I can't even imagine the hell they're living in. And I don't care if anybody wants to say, oh, they're on drugs, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. They are human beings. They are human beings. And a good percentage of them are Native Americans. And I really think that that is part of the reason this is going on. It is a 500-year genocide, and it has to be over. Thank you. So, yeah. It makes you want to clap, because... It does. So These, you know, you saw the sh cutaway shots there of uh, some of the people with cameras and mics and such like that, or or maybe uh, there was a couple just simply taking notes. All media, right? Um, and some of it was, you know, mainstream Twin Cities media. So when you got them clapping, although the majority of clapping were probably people like Unicorn Ride and some of the independent journalists that like me that are pretty much focused on covering activist events but still uh, they were there um, but of course um, they're getting footage for a half hour news broadcast so it was on the news that day um, you didn't see her and that was the most impassioned most moving speech that day. They don't put that stuff maybe, up. Maybe it was a little too much. I mean, oh, yeah. there was a time when journalists would look for that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, as a <laughs> independent citizen journalist, uh, look for that all the time. Oh, of um, course. Uh, 
I hope I have time before the showcase to uh, put together a trailer and that's the first thing I thought of that I'm going to have in the trailer is what you just listened to. So yeah, um, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, so you and I, I was at, and you were also there and Muren was there, I believe at the, um, eviction at the wall of forgotten natives, mm -hmm. uh, the other day, MnDOT supposedly yeah. was behind that and they had their state troopers out there or whatever. So how do, that seemed relatively tame by the standards of some of the things I've seen. How did that, how did it, that all go down compared to other was. stuff you've seen? And I have not seen, but uh, have borrowed some footage from Unicorn Riot because they have this wonderful open policy about using their material. Um, I, uh, I've tried several times to be there when they're actually moving, but uh, the one that I mentioned, the first one I went to, was back uh, when they were still putting up notices this eviction would be on this day and they would be there. So I got some footage that right. day of like front loaders picking up tents and clothing and things and, and, and dragging it away. So that's, that's good in that it shows, you know, what exactly is being done and how, you know, personal belongings and things are being trashed. Right, because that's the thing, you know, a lot of people may not be aware of, you know, in the, in the mainstream society that you know, they're moving moving people on, as they, I saw one of the state troopers say, oh, they've got to move along or something. Right. But it's like they don't think about the fact that most times, not in that case because they got ahead of it a little bit, but most times they're also trashing all their possessions, sometimes a bunch of their documents. They're the only exactly. thing they have. You know, um, you know, besides survival stuff, right. there's, uh, you know, uh, personal physical survival stuff, there's... Um, you know, uh, uh, monetary functional survival stuff, records and things like that, like you just yep. mentioned. So there's that going on. Um, and the thing is, yeah, that when I first started, uh, you know, documenting some of this stuff, that I'm pretty sure was the last time they arrived when they said they would. Mm -hmm. So I went to numerous encampments on a day that was designated or one of the designated days because it changed the right. notices changed they said it would say week of and i i've got you know quotes talking about that from murin and several other sources um so what helps bring home the point here is that um these changes they were happening as i was shooting this but i was also um at um uh, a, a meeting, a conference. They had a, a speaker forum. They had several speakers, and and uh, one of them, you know, um, it was a little more general than I was looking for. But it it, it talked about Minneapolis uh, versus Par Palestine, you know, mm. and and actually comparing some of the similarities to it. And it was um, more focused on some of the racial. Problems there. That's good because that's part of it too. But I was really hoping they uh, would also address the unhoused issue. Right. Uh, by the way, I very quickly learned, you know, from finding out about these evictions, that uh, I should call them unhoused rather mm -hmm. than homeless, because that helps bring home the fact 
that their homes are being destroyed. Right. So, you know, think of it like <laughs> you're given notice you've got to be out of your house, you know, right. by a certain day, and then they're going to come and bulldoze the whole thing down. Right. That's a fair comparison. Yeah. I mean, dis, you know, you could call them displaced because they've been put the on it. They've been physically removed from right. an area. I think they brought up the, you know, you were talking about the racial component, the indigenous uh, people uh, that were at the Wall of Forgotten Natives were bringing up right. the Indian Removal Act and as part of the And that's another thing I learned up fairly quickly is the amount of indigenous people that are in these uh, encampments. The, uh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the, the actual removals and what they're like, because you'd ask earlier right. about being there. And although I haven't been there, I have people who talk about that. And so when I was at this forum, I just, you know, there's a question and answer in that uh, period. So I asked questions about the unhoused, and then each of those speakers up front were able to give their own insights about them, and they had very good insights about them. They and, and, and one in particular was saying, if you've ever been to one of these, they are violent. They're very violent. And it's not always true, but it's frequently true. Right. And I was, um, and that I was not at any... Uh, a lot of people were not at the ones that were very violent. Because they were surprised ones. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that was on, they, they, that was on purpose because right, the police they, are the ones doing the violence and so they want to do that without anybody from the community. They would say week of and they would not show up on the first two days because no. that's when uh, most the um, citizen journalists and the protesters and the blockers would show up. So um, they, they would check it out and they come early in the morning and uh, at least we have witnesses report telling about, you know, how they ripped up tents and woke them up and told them, you got 15 minutes to get right. out of here. Um, I think in, in some cases it was even less than that. You have five minutes to get out of here. It's crazy. Right. It's nuts. Um, so there, there's been some that um, didn't look anywhere near as organized as the one you and right. I were at at the wall. Um, and there's so little options. Um, so I wasn't surprised when after a while, even though they were kind of backed up by the large amount of people when we had the wall, because they showed up on the wall thing, you know, right. the day they were supposed to, and, and we had a lot of people there, so it's got to be over a hundred people. Mm -hmm. Um, despite that, um, after a while, people started filtering around, you know. Uh, even even earlier in the day, you could see some people taking their stuff and heading out to who knows where. And I mean who knows where. Exactly. They don't know. Even though they've been through this several times, they don't know where they're going to go. They just, you know, they'll spend some time just wandering the streets for a while until they can gather together and form another encampment. And then the game of whack-a-mole starts all over again. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the, the international piece, the, you know, comparing it to the displacement of Palestinian people from their homes and, and areas. There's also, you know, it's part of a whole national campaign. We see this with, like, uh, Stop Cop City, um, mm -hmm. you know, where people were demonstrating Wilani uh, Forest. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of indigenous uh, folks back there. Also, exactly. there, was, there was a lot of folks there already before activists actually um, uh, uh, took their position there. Um, to defend the forest, and 
you know, there was a lot of those sweeps going on, um, you know, in removing uh, unhoused folks from that area, including Tortuguita, who was uh, oh, yeah, ultimately sure. killed um, as part of one of their uh, sweeps. Do you want to play us another um, clip? Like I said, I had a lot of interviews, and I was fortunate to get a variety of interviews to really help um, show the whole scope of the problem. And part of the problem is dealing with the legalities of it. Can they do it? Is it constitutional? Um, so there is a lawyer helping them, and of course the wheels grind slowly. But uh, I was able to get some time with him so he could talk about the um, some of what's being done and what's happening to the encampments and what should be and what shouldn't be. And so yeah, it's a bit that they passed. Um, I went back. And the Supreme Court says you can't outlaw people from living or sleeping, particularly now if there's no other place to do it. But the city of Minneapolis has taken two big approaches. The first one is that it's a health and safety risk. The way that they've often done that is by scheduling trash pickup for homeless encampment for a while and then stopping the pickup. And suddenly we have a, a place that's a health and safety risk because there's lots of unpicked up garbage. They've caused the problem. The other recent tactic they've used is to say, we have a, a law that makes an ordinance that makes temporary living structures illegal. So, sure, you can sleep, but you can't sleep in a tent. Well, you can sleep in a tent, but you can't own a tent or keep it on in the city of Minneapolis. It's a temporary dwelling structure. So that's the two ways that we've had to fight. What has been happening is they've been coming into encampments, bulldozing them, burning, uh, confiscating propane tanks, stealing people's property. And so what we're hoping to do here is to teach folks who've had their property taken how to file a claim in conciliation court for the replevant of their property to get their property back. Whether that's, you know, childhood photos that they had, whether that's their identity papers, whether that's the tent, their sleeping bag, and their heater. We're asking for the city to give them back. And if they don't give them back, to compensate them for the money that's involved. I think that's the way that we can make a big difference in a short span of time that people may not be moved in that time frame. Has that happened to this point? Not yet. Getting the property back? Okay. That's what we're organized about today. And uh, is some of it destroyed? Much of the property is destroyed. And in that case, you list on the, on the person's complaint the value of the property that was taken. And they're required, hopefully, if the court finds for you, to reimburse the value of the property that was taken and destroyed. The housing first model. So we're doing it all back. That was attorney Paul Bozeman I saw from the uh, from the uh, description there, which mm -hmm. wouldn't be caught on the audio. But and then this is uh, Mira and Renee Peterson coming up. Yeah. But uh, and, and she was quoted about... before. She was in the uh, clip before. Right. That uh, was at the the, the press conference uh, at the quarry. Cool December day. Yeah. Um, and this was actually recorded the, the same day. There was a, uh, a meeting going on, and um, uh, I forget the name of the organization, but they meet once a month on uh, this place on Cedar Avenue. Uh, anyways, um, 
if you want. She talks about the housing first model. Yeah, so, so well, I'll just say, so you have the um, this uh, um, showcase coming up, so that's where this is planned to be um, uh, kind of premiered, this documentary. Right. And that's coming that's up, I think, October 1st. Can you talk about right, that? Sunday, again? October 1st at the Woodbury Theater. Um, 6.30 meet and greet and 7 o'clock the uh, films will start. I'm still putting together what the other ones will be, but uh, the main focus will be mine. One, because I'm putting it together, and two, because so far it's the only feature that's uh, going to be there, uh, which is fine because there's only so much time that evening that I have for the uh, rental space that I have for the theater that I've rented. Um, so is there a t- so is there a cost I hope to have shorts before mine. So there will be several shorts in the same topic, you know, Minneapolis and uh, how they treat the minorities, the unhoused, the activists. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, how some protests have been treated. And there was, I actually some, got some good footage of a protest of 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 the treatment of protests, actually. Uh, that, um, and it actually is more of a demonstration than a protest. It was actually kind of a, sure. a, a, a more optimistic thing because um, they were in part celebrating a victory they'd gotten for some of the people that were arrested on the freeway the, the, the summer of the George Floyd uh, murder. So I got that type of stuff, too. And this event is there? Uh, is there a cost associated with it? Do they should people be getting tickets ahead of time, or do they get tickets there? Good question. It? No, it's it's an open thing. Um, I'm putting an invite, and it's open an invite for people, and there is no admission charge. I will, however, be putting a bucket or something for yeah. for donations. That sounds like the, the right primary way. thing would be donations for the unhoused. I will also say. If you also wanted to help defray my cost, I have a bucket for that. But um, put your main money in the unhoused uh, receptacle. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate that. Is there um, is there anything else you want to say? If you, do you want to play another uh, clip? You think this one uh, is is worth playing, or is there? Well, another? it's not that long, so yeah. This is so again. This is Mira and Renee Peterson again talking about the housing first model. Yes, and this is uh, would be a really good way. I would go ahead and give my opinion. This is the way it should be done. Uh, she obviously agrees with that. That's why she's. I agree. With it. I agree with it too. And to uh, but for those unfamiliar, this will help explain what it is, uh, why it's a good thing, and why it's been adopted by other cities and countries. The Housing First model gives the people, and this has helped, helped cleared out um, in Helsinki, no more homeless problems. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a couple other cities in Europe, no more homeless problem. It's working in Columbus, Ohio. It's working in, um, gosh, I think somewhere in Pennsylvania, but I, I, I'm not good at geography. Those things don't stick in my head. but. People are given a house while they're addicted. They are given permanent housing. So they have, you have Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. Okay, they're given the basic needs of life. You can't, 
without having shelter and food in it, you can't build a life, you know, mentally. So they've got that taken care of. They, they're housed. Okay, then they can get also psychotherapy, child therapy, and they can talk about their trauma. Most of these people out here have been through horrible traumas. They've been through, um, grown up on the streets, whatever. They can, they can have therapy, uh, psychotherapy. Uh, then, when they're ready, they can, and usually do, end up going to rehab. And then, after rehab, they get job training, and they get a job. And the success rate with this has been wonderful. It's been it's been great. It's working. It's proven. And um, I don't know why our city won't even look at it because it has also saved all these cities a lot of money because it it saves on people ending up in jail for being drunk and disorderly, whatever, being intoxicated. It has saved money on all the hospitalizations of people living out in the streets. Other, the ambulance trips to the ER all the time, the, um, the evictions that cost like $40,000, $50,000 each. So they're actually saving money in getting these people permanent housing, talk therapy, and then moving them into rehab where they're living, or, you know, give them access to rehab, um, whether it's yeah, probably where they're living uh, or, or day, day treatment. And then they can get job training. And a lot of them now have jobs, are clean, and are paying their rent. It is working. So yeah, there's all kinds of evidence all over the internet. So Europe, Europe has been better about it, of course, than we have. Mostly the like German and Scandinavian countries. <laughs> oh, Vienna is one. Yeah, eliminated their homeless problem. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like housing first movement. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense to me. Yeah, I think there was a there was a John Oliver blurb on unhoused folks at one point. It was like a longer one, but in there there was a piece specifically about a program they were trying for unhoused veterans. I don't remember where it was. I'm not even going to guess. Uh, but it, it was working really well. This guy had a place he could live. Oh, yeah. Of course, it was amazing for him because, it, you know, it took... I mean, that's a big thing that's on your mind if you don't have a place to live, obviously, is where the heck are you going to live? You don't feel secure. You're having anxiety. You're having mental health stress because of that, obviously. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I don't watch that show enough. I should watch it. And, I don't... Any, anytime I do watch it, you know, he's he's got... a an issue that he's focused on and he spends like I don't know 20 minutes or more on it and and it's wonderful because yeah. uh, there's a lot of facts there's a lot of energy in how he speaks about it and a uh, nice mix of humor and it's just wonderful to listen to yeah I haven't I don't really watch him at all pretty much the okay. only things I see are when a friend of mine sent there was like two oh. different ones that were one of those longer yeah. pieces where he focused on an issue mm -hmm. I can't remember what the other one was but yeah this unhoused one was starting from the point of like these neighbors that supposedly were complaining according to mainstream media because you know there was uh, human excrement on the pavement or something like that and so and then he dug into the fact that they're not providing any, like, public facilities for these people. So it's like, well, what, you know, it's that's the fact that they're not public. That's mentioned in Exactly. Here. They're yeah. not providing these facilities for folks. Right. So what, like, what are people supposed to be doing to, you know, to function and live? But anyway, well, I really appreciate the documentary. I encourage everybody to get out and see it on October 1st. Um, you know, is there anything else you want to say about the documentary, about, you know, working on it before you go? Um, 
Well, you know, I, what you're just talking about was yet another thing. I, I really hope that I've uh, covered, you can't cover all the areas, but all the important areas uh, with this because there's so many different issues and, you know, the complaints about, you know, well, they're drug addicts. Well, right. you know, there's, there's garbage and things like that. And uh, uh, there can be, yes, and for various reasons. Uh, the the other thing that I hope to highlight is that, um, you know, they work to improve that. Right. You know, at least the encampments that I've been to and the, the people I've interviewed, like this fellow who calls himself King, I find that rather ironic because he really runs a democratic right. uh, encampment situation. And uh, you find out these amazing things, like this one encampment that he was at, um, uh, somebody was at the encampment related to me that, you know, um, one of the cops that is actually able to talk, you know, civilly to these people had mentioned to him that since that particular encampment had been established, the crime rate in that neighborhood had actually gone down. Right. And, um, you know, so, so a lot of them, and you know, the one that you were at, the the wall, was a very right. fine example of that. A very organized, very well put together, and very disciplined. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say... They're gonna, doing it. Yeah. I was going to pull it up. I think, you know, I yeah. made a comment that uh, the liberals were kind of pulling a a, 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 um, a page out of Trump's playbook when they, you know, in a lot of these cities, when they were talking about unhoused folks, kind of the way he talked about immigrants, you know, they're drug addicts. They're human trafficking. Yeah, just, yeah. They're you know they're doing all this stuff, and then but they end. But I'm sure some of them are good people. people or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's really been a lot like that. I've seen that. Oh like, yeah, it's crazy. I've and seen a bunch of news coverage where they have these people. It was right. and the fact of the matter is they're more often victims of crime. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's you know and the fact they're victims of crime by the government. That's that's the thing they are. You don't. A lot of people don't understand is that uh, these evictions. Uh, well, they claim to be cleaning up and making them, right. uh, the neighborhoods better are, are criminal. That the government is, is engaging in, in criminal acts. Yeah. Well, thanks so, so yeah. Thanks I, so I, much for speaking with me. And, uh, sure. you know, this will be a great chance. I hope everybody's able to get out on the first to attend the showcase. And that's our special thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.